and welcome to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today's guest is one of the most recognisable number ones of the past decade or two. He's achieved two promotions from the championship and featured in over 600 games for the likes of Sheffield United, Leeds and QPR. Welcome to the show, Paddy Kenny. How are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, we're just saying, sort of off air, it's weird times, but it feels like we're coming out of it, doesn't it? So, yeah, how have you been kicking on? feels like everyone's been up with life now, God's sake. Yeah, I think it's it's been, what, something like 12 weeks or something like that. And I think we were just chatting before. Um, obviously, you've got a book coming out as well. I mean, first things first, it's not out yet, but due to dropping about autumn, possibly November, called The Gloves Are Off. Uh, what can we expect from the book? Uh, obviously, it's not. It's just like my life, obviously, on and off the pitch, basically. Uh, it's always been up and down. It's been a very roller coaster experience, uh, whether it be my fault or not. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff I've cleared up that didn't come out right, and things like that. And that, and basically, I've been honest all the way through it, and uh, I'm excited about it coming out. I've been excited doing it. This time has actually helped us get 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 the work done quicker. So hopefully, I know you said November there, but maybe we're up, maybe September, October. So yeah, exciting times. Good, amazing. Um, has it been quite therapeutic going back through your career yourself? It, do you know what? It's made me realise that from where I come from, council estate in Halifax, being told I worked tall enough to go through everything season, year by year and season by season, it made me realise how well I did do. And just little things like when you go back through things, I never had a full-time goalie coach, so 25-year-old. To get to where I got to, it up to 25 and not have a full-time goalie coach, you know, just with natural ability, just, you look back, you think, wow, I, have to, I did really do well for what the cards I were dealt and, and things like that. So, yeah, I, I, it's been very therapeutic, like you said, and, and good to look back on. I look back at it. I think the first time I actually messaged you, I think it was because I came across like a promotion for it. And I think you'd put not too bad for a fat lad from Halifax, which I'll be honest, floored me like. But um, but yeah, you know, looking back over your career and stuff like that, I think it is. I mean, we we sort of spoke just before off air and trying to condense your career into 45 minutes to an hour is pretty much impossible, mate. But we'll go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, Halifax, as you said, born in 1978. What's your earliest memories of uh, being a goalkeeper, I suppose? Really young. Really young, obviously, maybe four, five, six-year-old. Uh, my mum tells me even at two, three-year-old, all I ever wanted were footballs. And then it was just basically out playing with my mates. I'd go in, had trousers would be ripped every day, I'd be covered in mud every day. And, and it just went from there, really. So was there any kid that you, any club, sorry, that you supported in particular as a kid? Believe it or not, uh, I was a Man United fan as a kid, uh, which obviously we might speak about a bit later, which actually changed... A bit later on when I got relegated with Sheffield United and Tevez scoring that goal at Old Trafford when Manu left all the players out because they already won the league. So I sort of went against them a little bit then. But uh, yeah, we're Man United as a kid and we didn't have much uh, group on a council estate in Halifax, which I won't change for one minute. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, we, I, I, I can't even recall when I got my first kit because I never really had one because I couldn't afford one. Yeah. There is always that as well. I mean, obviously, I was I was born in a council estate as well, and sometimes it's uh, the the benefit of council estates is that you get a lot of street football. So, were you immediately like chucked in the goal immediately? Was it just like, oh, Paddy will play in goal, so he's in? <laughs> it was more that I wanted to play in goal more than oh, I just enjoy getting me. I, I, I think I just used to love getting dirty and rest from there then. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. I understand that. Goalkeepers are you're a strange breed. You you seem to enjoy getting in, mucked in, and getting dirty and getting there, uh, getting. 
getting your hands and your head in different places. I think Edison last night, if you're watching the game, it's uh, when he knocked out the oh, defender. Crikey. Yeah, yeah. Just, I just yeah, the ball. it's one of them, isn't it? We're in a position where you're getting balls fired from close range. You just like players, I suppose, 50-50s, you're putting your head in way and stuff like that, being knocked out many a time. I was on about it actually the other day to somebody and just got played, carried on playing the game, whereas nowadays you wouldn't be able to play for two or three weeks, something would you? Something yeah. like that. Whereas back in the day, it were like, slap me out face for us, bucket and sponge on you and carry on. It was like the, uh, I think it was a Peter Reid moment. I think it was, uh, I think it was either Patrick and Bournemouth or someone got knocked out at Sunderland. Reedy says, oh, is he all right? Is he going to have to come off? He says, no, he's just he's just out of it. He doesn't really know who he is, though. He says, well, tell him he's Pelly and tell him to get up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I is... actually got in the league debut, believe it or not, for Borough. Knocked clean out after five minutes by Nicky Southall. Got on with it. Best thing um... that ever happened to me at all when I looked at that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you, you sort of joined uh, obviously you were Bradford Park Avenue originally um, but it didn't take you long to be recognised by league clubs and it, I think you know your friendship with Neil Warnock's pretty well known you've signed from five times in total but you first signed from a, a Bury in 99 what, what was your first meeting with Neil Warnock like? Yeah it was interesting obviously I didn't, know, I didn't really know much about the professional game in them days uh, he just he just I work hard, you've got to work on your fitness because I was still unfit and I'd come out of work. I had a full-time job before that as well as an engineer. Uh, and uh, it would basically just come in, enjoy yourself and let's see where we go from here. It would, uh, it would just basically let me get on with myself. I think you started with, was it Dean Kylie would have been in goal for Berry at the time? Yeah, so was, yeah. I don't know if you ever ended up, I think there would have been a slight difference in age, but obviously he played for Ireland as well. You ended up playing for Republic of Ireland also, but um, really well-respected goalkeeper. What was it like going into your first league club and having him as kind of the, I suppose your mentor, or your, the, the guy you were competing with? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it was brilliant, Dean. Uh, taught me a lot of things. Uh, and when touching on the Ireland one, it, he was the reason I got my Ireland chance because he retired. So I never, I never crossed past him. Uh, and then when I'd stopped playing for Ireland, he'd come back. He made a comeback for a few for a bit. So we never crossed paths on the Ireland scene. But yeah, I had a year with Dean and uh, he ended up getting sold to Charlton and that's a child giving me a chance. And then Dean retiring from Ireland giving me a chance. So a lot to thank him for, really. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. I think with Dean Kiley as well, though, he did he leave after one season? So you kind of had one season as an understudy. Are we uh, straight in a very... It was it was a strange situation because uh, he he got sold because Bury got relegated and it's you know like they say right to, uh, right place at right time or you need to you look along the way which I basically did and I look back at me obviously I got my chance at Bury so I've been there a year and had a little loan spell at Whitbeck and uh, Dean Dean was the keeper and and we got relegated from obviously with Ch- Division One equivalent yeah. to the Championship and for this one season only. The league changed the uh, goal difference, how it worked. You no, know, normally you have your normal goals for against goals against. Yeah. But that one season they changed it to goals scored. So whoever scored the most goals. So if you finished on the same points, it didn't matter about your goal difference. And, and Port Vale finished on the same points as us. They had a better. They scored more goals, but we had a better goal difference. But that one season only, they changed it. And, and that meant that Burry got relegated and obviously they had to sell the best players then. And obviously Dean Carley went and, and that gave me my opportunity. And was, I might not have got my opportunity if, if that wouldn't, would have, wouldn't have been like that at the time. Was that 97, 98? 
be around that time, yeah. Around that time, because I'm thinking that would have been, because obviously I remember Sunderland being in um, what was then Nationwide League Division 1, um, and I remember Berry being in that division because you had the likes of, was it Chris Lucchetti, Paul Butler? Yeah, look, yeah. So it was a good squad, yeah, we, but... Yeah. What was, what was like... Obviously, you've grown up with with Warnock um, throughout your career, and obviously, I think it'll be. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be stupid of me to ask (laughs) if you got on with him, because obviously, of course, you did. But like first impressions, like he's he's a big character. Let's not deny it. But the character that he is, does it take a while to warm to him, or did you kind of warm to him straight away? No, I I warmed to him straight away. I did, and. He's, I always found him as a straight talker. He, he'd have a go at you. Listen, he has a go at you because he wants to win. We all want to, we all want yeah. to win. You have arguments in dressing rooms because you want to win. And end of the day, if he's ranting and raving, it's because he, he, he wants to win. Simple as. But where, what I found with him, because we used to sometimes fight like cat and dog over blaming each other for goals and stuff like that. But the next day, we're forgotten about. Yeah. There were no grudges held. Listen, we've had us beef. We've sorted it out. We move on. Carry on. Uh, and that's why I liked about him. And and and, and obviously not everyone can have, have that same opinion, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure a majority of people will have done. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about Berry, it would be obviously wrong of me to move on to Sheffield United before we do discuss, unfortunately, what happened to Berry as a former player and someone who got your chance at Berry. Like, how disappointed were you to see what happened last year? Oh, I just, I honestly, from when it were all happening, I, I, I didn't think for one minute that the league the FA, the PFA, whatever could have helped them. I didn't think for one minute they'd go under, honestly. And then the day it did, it was like, wow. My first football club, I was absolutely gutted. Uh, and it's really disappointing. And I just, obviously, I'm hoping they come back under a different name and and, and eventually get back in there. But yeah, really disappointing and a sad time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's, it just shows, especially with the pandemic just coming along, how fragile football can be these days with clubs and how careful you need to be almost with certain things? I know obviously there's, there's arguments either way, but when you look at the fit and proper test, it's it's frustrating, isn't it, when you see things like that, clubs getting taken yeah, over and just dying? Yeah. I think sometimes if you haven't got them right owners and they're not doing it right, then that, that obviously shows now that it can happen. And, and I'm sure that with what's gone off, uh, I won't be surprised if it happens to more clubs. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately so. Um, absolutely agree with you on that, mate. Absolutely. Um, as it was with Berry, you know, it didn't take long until, you know, you went to Sheffield United. I think you had two or three seasons at Berry. You, you played regularly, like you say, which would have been League One at the time, or Division Two, as me and you might know it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think you've often said that, you know, you fell in love with Sheffield United, your heart's at Sheffield United. But, but what was it about the club that made you fall in love with them? The club itself, the fans, the people that work at the club, still speak to people that work there now. Uh, still, if I want to go to games, I get tickets. The fans were amazing. It was the atmosphere there, it was just an unbelievable club. And uh, to, to look back now and have eight years there uh, and two eight amazing years, well, maybe last year were a bit disappointing, obviously, because our, our band, but... I had eight years there, and when I look back, they were amazing, amazing times. And uh, and like I said, my heart's with that club, and it always will be. How are you welcomed when you go back to to Sheffield? Uh, when I first went back, when I first left, uh, I've got some some grief, and that's one of the reasons I want to want to do this book. But uh, 
uh, when I go back now, everyone's fine when I go back. You had the playoff season and the League Cup and the FA Cup semi-finals before the actual promotion season in 2005-2006. Yeah. Is that right? Got you. Yeah. So I suppose that season ultimately, in a way, whenever you lose a playoff final, disappointing. Whenever you get to a semi-final, disappointing. But how do you look back on that season and what are your kind of memories of, of the good parts of it? Yeah, it's, it's something I've touched on in my book saying it, it's weird because it were a good season, but it weren't, if you know what I mean, because we didn't, it were an amazing season without achieving anything. Uh, two, two cup semi-finals beating, we'd be uh, Leeds along the way. Uh, Do we beat Sunderland as well in the cup, didn't we, I think, that, that year? No comment. I'm sure <laughs> To look at that, I'm sure we beat Sunderland along the way. And yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we did, didn't we? I thought yeah. we did. Uh, last, last 16, I think it was. Uh, yeah, Wayne yeah. Allenson. Uh, Wayne Allenson. Oh, you mean the chief? Yes. Yeah. Yep. The chief. The chief. Uh, and then, like I said, we lost in the playoff final, and it was a strange one because it was an amazing season, but it worked because we didn't achieve anything. And his aim was for promotion, but. Unfortunately, I think the cut runs actually took the toll in the end. Yeah. Uh, Game-wise and, and took a lot out of the lads along the way. I spoke to a few of the lads that were at um, Middlesbrough during the, the year that they went, they got relegated when they had Janino and stuff like that, but they also got the FA Cup final and the League Cup final. And it's funny, a lot of them point back and they say, you know, really what it was, the, the problems that we had was there was too many games. It just took it out of us completely. Um Although it might be slightly different for a goalkeeper because I think goalkeepers probably feel, you know, they could play 50, 60 games sometimes a season. But how much does being involved in that many games in a season physically take it out of a player? Because you have these people who say like, oh, you should be able to play every single game and all this kind of stuff. But like at the end of the day, you're only human beings. You've only got so much energy that you can actually use. 60-odd games a season, how much does that take out of you? It's not just about the games, though, is it? You've obviously got your training, you're travelling, you're in hotels overnight, you're travelling around country, you're getting in at three o'clock in the morning. People forget about all that, do you know what I mean? And add that to the games on top, it it, take, it does take its toll. Even me as a goalkeeper, it took its toll and stuff like that. You get in at three o'clock after a Tuesday night game, you can't sleep. You're yeah. still on a high from game and that next day, then you still you might have a day off, but you're still tired. And then before you know it, you're back training and then next day you, you've got a game and... And like I said, when we played Arsenal as well, we played Arsenal on a Sunday in April. We had a game again on Tuesday against Nottingham Forest. We didn't even train on Monday because we everyone was that exhausted. He just said, see you at the game on Tuesday. So, yeah, it's tough. When it comes to the, the exhaustion as well, we're talking physical, but mentally, I mean, it would have been Wembley then, would it have been? Was that Wembley? No, what the... Or was it no, Millennium Stadium? Final, no, Millennium, that Millennium season, Stadium, yeah. that's right. So it was. So your semi-finals would have been Villa Park, Hillsborough? No. Old, yeah, Old Trafford. Old Trafford. Park. That was it. Of course it was Old Trafford Old when Seaman obviously made the save. So games like that, you're talking about the physical aspect, but how much does it take it out of you mentally when you've got so many big games coming up like that? I think because of what how we were we were doing because we were doing really well in the league and obviously in your cup runs your cup runs it's it's a balancing act in it because yeah it's nice to have the cup runs and uh, for momentum and stuff like that but then also you're playing midweek every week as well and you don't get no breaks and, and that's when uh, obviously like I said it takes its toll so 
As it was, it ended up where, you know, it worked out all right in the end because you played every single minute of the 2005-2006 Championship promotion season, or uh, Division 1 promotion as it was. Uh, Sheffield United squad at that point, I'm looking through like the list of players and there's some real characters there. I think Chris Morgan was probably the one that stuck out the most. Uh, Phil Jagielka, David Unsworth, obviously, who unfortunately came back to sort of bite Sheffield United on the backside. But it was a team of real character. (laughs) <laughs> a team of real character, commitment, quality. Uh, what are your memories of the the championship season and the squad that you had there? You know what? It's, it's, we we look back on that season. We, we pre season we went to China, mm-hmm. and we had twelve flights in ten days, and we had three games over there. And we got battered in all three. We didn't score. We conceded about ten goals. And we'd not. We didn't win a game at all pre season, and we was like, as last night in China, we we're in a hotel and having a drink, and we were like, that's we fucking sort our heads out here when we get back because we could, we could go down this year. No, but we're fucking being wanked. And we went yeah. to start the season with nine out of ten. It was ridiculous. And then it was just snowballed from there then, really. And uh, obviously, once we got that momentum up, we just continued. And we're more or less, once you'd won nine out of ten at start of season, you can afford to probably win, lose and draw for the rest of yeah. the season. You still go up and that's what, what happened, really. Does it help with like having like we talked before about the big characters you have in the squad, and I've missed quite a few off. But does it help when you have like a preseason like that and a character obviously like Warnick leading the team as well? Just kind of looking at the squad and saying, "Hang on a minute, lads! Like we need to have a frank, honest conversation here." Is it almost better to have um, a few bad results almost in preseason or early on in the season so you can regroup when you've got a team of that level of character? Oh yeah, listen, I'd rather lose preseason every game all day and put it right in league. Uh, like I said, we sat down that day having a beer and we said, listen, we've got to fucking sort our heads out here. We've been wank. We've had the worst preseason ever. We've fucking stayed in about seven or eight different hotels in ten days. It was ridiculous. It wasn't a very well planned trip whatsoever. And and we just had a, we were all honest, we'd had a few beers sometimes, you get a few things off your chest yeah. and stuff like that. And I remember Andy Gray went home after three days because he's not being asleep. His head had gone. Just little things like that. And uh, and yeah, I were always one of these that if, if you had bad results, fucking I'll have an argument, get it off your chest, apologise and move on. Yeah, absolutely. Did, did Neil, uh, I'm guessing he did, but um, did Neil want to encourage that kind of attitude? Did he like let the players just kind of go at it and not get involved? He used to set it up majority of the time. <laughs> so he'd, he, he worked stupid. He would set it up so that lads would have an argument. He liked that sorting it out, and then he put his word in. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, does it almost create like a? I think I can only really relate to the the Sunderland squad of like Alex Ray and Ball and Phillips and Quinn, I suppose. But there seemed to be an element of where you could have it out with each other when it came to your team. But if anyone else had to go at the team, it was like every, like you would be straight on them. Like if someone from an opposition side, it was like they were your best oh, mates yeah. or you could argue like cat and dog. Do you think that sometimes, and I mean, I don't know too many modern footballers, but do you think the football misses that sometimes, that kind of like team I spirit? That, I found that towards back in my, back into my career because I've been in dressing rooms and I remember having a full-on fight at Bristol City with the injury at half-time in changing rooms. Over, just because we were arguing over a goal, we, listen, we both wanted to win at the end of the day, do you know what I mean? And at the end of the game, we both hugged each other and apologised, and we're still good friends now to this day. Yeah. Still speak on a regular basis, and like we, it was a respect thing as well. And then back into my career, I remember having an argument. I, play, I played injured back into my Leeds career. I couldn't kick ball, I damaged an artery in my foot. We weren't even taking goal kicks, and we're playing away at Yeovil. Jimmy Kebby did me a back pass from inside their own half and I couldn't kick out to two poke out of play for a throw-in. 
So I had to go in my half time and nearly start crying. And I'm like, wow. I, thought, I just, you know, like, you just, if that had been me, I'd have been up arguing back in his face and yeah. having a go back. And he just sat there in his chair and took it. And I thought, wow. And I had to sort of back off because he looked like I could have made him cry, but didn't calm down. Did he have to and sort even, of change even Brian, even Brian McDermott, the manager, he pulled me a few days later and had a go at me about it, saying it's disgusting. You shouldn't speak to players like that. and You don't win nothing by speaking to players and arguing like that. And uh, I just disagreed with him. I said, well, I disagree with you. I've, I've been in dressing rooms where lads have been fighting left, right and centre and we've achieved stuff. When did you start noticing that it, that atmosphere had sort of changed? Because you do hear it a lot. It's, I mean conversations I've had with current footballers and players who've retired recently or players who played in the 80s and there's a vast difference between like the atmospheres and the changing rooms I mean you're talking 1980s was like the crazy gang up to like now where some of the players you headphones on they don't even speak and I don't want to be that kind of person that uh, that thinks players you know don't have the personality the world's changed and it like you've got social yeah. media we used to have a regular out Players can't do that these days because social a lot of social media, there's cameras everywhere. I do get that side of it. Uh, so they've got to be so careful. It's like when we used to go out on a Tuesday. We had a, we had a really good Tuesday club when we didn't have a game. But if we lost on that Saturday, no, there weren't Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and all that. So no one knew, so no one was to have a go at us. So nowadays, if, you, if you've seen lads out on a Tuesday and they lost on Saturday they'd be like, they'd be, well they were pissed on Saturday so what do you expect no, sorry on Tuesday so what do you expect do you know what I mean it's just little things like that that's changed massively do you think that's what's changed at the most the social media aspect do you think players are almost like no. media trained so they have to go not inside themselves but appear to be like inside themselves when you've got certain characters I mean few and far between these days aren't they that are kind of like mavericks sometimes you're in a no-win situation because if they do come out and and they try to be normal people, they get caned. And then yeah. if they get normal people and be quiet, it's got their earphones on, they get caned for being ignorant. So yeah. sometimes they're in a no-win situation. Absolutely. Um, talking about character in the squad, I suppose is maybe an obvious question, but who was the biggest joker in that Sheffield United squad at that time? Robert, Rob Kozluk. Do you remember Rob Kozluk? I do remember Rob right Kozluk. What a character he was. Wow. I remember one time we uh, we went to Cornwall pre-season and uh, God rest his soul, uh, Derek Doula, who's a legend at uh, Sheffield, went down Sheffield United to be fair play, and uh, he, he obviously he only had one leg, and he, he he used to take his leg off on coach, and he he fell he, he fell asleep, and we got down to Cornwall and woke up and fucking Cosy had nicked his leg, and fucking he didn't receive. <laughs> And when he woke up, he knew straight away, run Kozlik up straight away, bring my fucking leg back now, Kozlik. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember him uh, stuff like gluing Michael Brown's brand new pair of Parada shoes to dressing room floor on a match day and things like that. It was a, it was a character. It's yeah. another he, character I always, well. said if, I always said, if, 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 when he were to retire, you should have him around club just for how he is as a person because he's such a character. Talking about character in the squad as well. I mean, you just mentioned the name there as well. Michael Brown. Um, great player for Sheffield United. Proper, like, old-school yeah, central midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what was, you know, when you're looking at, like, the squad itself and you're having that kind of camaraderie and stuff like that, I think when you went to the Premier League, although, unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out maybe the way you wanted at the end, it started off quite well. 
I think you actually held your own quite a bit. It wasn't like dead cert that you were going down. It literally was a miraculous at the end from West Ham in a way. But ultimately, it did sort of end in disappointment with, I think, David Unsworth netting a penalty about three minutes after coming on the pitch. He used to play for Sheffield United, relegated you, but saved Wigan. But on the flip side, you know, a lot of that relegation centred around the club's anger at West Ham's, I think it was confirmed, the legal signing of Carlos Tevez. So... Ultimately, yeah. it was his form that kept them up. How hard was that to, to follow that happening and what happened? Yeah, it was difficult. I, I, when you look back now, it was like, it started the first game of the season. We played Liverpool, and I don't know if you ever remember the story. We, we got a penalty given against us for intent. Yeah. Chris Morgan went to tackle Steven Gerrard, and he got done. He, he pulled him. So it started from day one. It was like, as though we dropped two points that day. We should have beat Liverpool. Uh, and I don't think there'd ever been a penalty given for intent and, until then and it was the strangest decision ever uh, and like I said you go through the season obviously I remember we played West Ham at home we battered them 3-0 and you were thinking they're gone Yeah. and I don't think they lost after that they went and won away at Arsenal Man United they had some ridiculous wins along the way uh, and then going to the David Unsworth one, people probably forget this one, but Unzi scored the penalty to send us down. But earlier in that season, we played Blackburn and he missed a penalty for us in a nil-nil draw with Blackburn. We actually missed two penalties that game. I saved one, one of theirs, and then Brad Friedel saved two of ours. And Unzi missed one of them, believe it or not. People I probably do remember can't. that. No, I do actually. I do actually slightly remember that. Unzi missed the penalty and then obviously it turned out that and it was like you got to the last game of the season, we were three points ahead of Wigan. And, and it just felt that there were one goal difference between us. So that obviously if they beat us, that goal difference flipped. It was like as though it, were, it was just on, right and we're on the wall, basically. And, and then the disappointing thing with, obviously we had to lose, sorry, we had to lose to Wigan and West Ham had to beat Man U for us, us to go down. And, it, and I think it were ridiculous odds and it, and it happened. Man U had won league week before, which probably the worst thing that could have happened to us because I think they were partying hard that week and yeah, and they left a lot. I think they left seven or eight, maybe nine players out on that last game of the season and that didn't help the situation for us neither. And the fact that it was Tevez, I remember even the commentary said that it had to be him. I mean, as a as a player on the opposite side of that, how do you deal with, I mean, the West Ham situation went on for a while, but how do you deal with that happening? Do you, do you pay any any mind to it or just concentrate on yourself or does, does it get to you a bit? The aftermath, do you mean? Before aftermath. and after, I suppose both really. Do you know what? I weren't taking much notice of it at the time when it were happening because I'm thinking, until you go down, that's when you start thinking about it. I thought, I'm sure it'll sort itself out and all this lot and didn't really know a great deal into it and, and it worked till after that we got relegated that actually they should have had points deducted and not find and we would have stayed up, and but unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. Uh, best thing I did, I literally after we got relegated, Nick, I got home that night, booked a flight, and booked off an holiday for a week. Away, <laughs> just got drunk, just to try soften blow a little bit, get away yeah. from it all, basically. Because I, I mean, I remember quite vividly it, it happening because I think you had like Rob Hulse was up front, he was kind of scoring for fun, and he, he got an injury towards the end as well, didn't he, Rob Hulse? Yeah, didn't he? That's right. I, that's another thing, and all I've mentioned, I always said if Olsen wouldn't have broke his leg, we would have stayed up because as goals dried up when he got injured as yeah. well, we found it out to score. You brought in, if I remember rightly, John Stead from Sunderland at that point, who'd been on a 
horrific when a form was sung and I mean really really bad and you could see it affected his confidence but you know he went on to have quite a good career maybe sort of lower on down the divisions but um what was he like as a character John said when you brought him in because I imagine he was a quite low ed but I think he did relatively all right for Sheffield United if I remember yeah, him scoring he three or four he was a good lad we, we had a good squad do you know what I mean we, yeah when I looked through my Sheffield United career we never really had many dickheads do you know what I mean yeah uh, and and Steady was a great lad to have around and like I said he'd he, I think he'd done really well at Uddersfield before, before he went to Sunderland. So. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, it was, we were looking forward to it. Was a, he was another player who was good in air. He, he could play a bit. And I think he were good at finishing. He was just sometimes wrong club at wrong time it can be. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's what happened with him at Sunderland. Yeah, I, I, yeah, must have been. Because I think he's done relatively well elsewhere, if, if even yeah. though relatively lower divisions. But around that sort of time, uh, you know, you had been picked by Republic of Ireland because I believe your parents are Irish, is that correct? Yeah, my dad and my mum's parents, yeah. So I don't know whether growing up you would have been an Ireland fan or an England fan, but how proud of you were you to represent Ireland when you got picked for them? Yeah, I was brought up uh, Irish as a kid, so yep. uh, I learned about this yesterday, about Holy Water at the bottom of the stairs, it's still there these days and stuff like that. Uh, Shamrock around the house, uh, Supporting Ireland in 1990 World Cups and things like that, and uh, so yeah, when I did get a chance to play for my country, it was a massive uh, thing for the family and uh, something they've got to be proud of, really. Absolutely. Who was the manager at the time? Who called you up again? Was it Mick McCarthy? Uh, oh, Brian Kerr. Uh, yeah. How did you get on with him? Yeah, good. Uh, obviously, he gave me my chance. I had a lot of, res- lot of respect for him and. We did quite well under him. Uh, I stopped playing for Ireland. It worked under him. It runs Steve Stone. Stone. So, yeah. Because yeah. it was, I think, when you stopped playing for Ireland, it was, I think at the time, it was, I think, in inverted commas, to, to sort things out, like personal situations out. Is that quite a hard decision or was it one you felt like you had to take? Basically, obviously, I had the field troubles with me, uh, personal life. And yeah. I just felt, I, want, I would try to get my head right, my head roll over it sharp. I just wanted a bit of time away. And basically, when I meant a bit of time, I meant leave me out for maybe next one or two squads. Yeah. Uh, and I just never got called back up after that ever. So, uh, left it at that. I'm not going to lie to you. Every international break, I just went on holiday. So I enjoyed, enjoyed my holidays away instead. <laughs> we got four or five days off, so we're off. You know, with um, you know, players nowadays, it's a bit more common that you see players can go away for personal issues. I don't think it really was in those days. It was it's probably one of the benefits of social media is that it's a little bit more understood and it's probably one of the more benefits of modern day football that it is more understood. But I suppose when you go away in those days, 2006, I think, 2005, 2006, it would have been around, and you cite personal reasons, is it quite difficult in those days to do that? Because it would be a bit more accepted these days. I don't think it was then, was it? Yeah, I think you spot on there. I think I think obviously with mental health these days and things like that, uh, people talk a lot more, don't they? They get a lot yeah. more off the chest. It's not embarrassing to say it. I think back in them days, probably when I look, when I were going through all my shy, I just fucking dealt with it myself and there were no one to speak to. I don't, do you know what I mean? It were like, do I speak to my mates and family and stuff like that? Nowadays, you seem to find that people come out and they've got, they're not ashamed to get out there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a bit more understanding, I think, of it as well. I mean, there was... You can't uh, get stuff off your chest, don't you? And yeah. I was quite a thick-skinned person anyway, so I, I dealt with it my own way, and I managed to get by, look, you know what I mean? I just needed my time out, basically, to deal with it. 
I think talking about that, and you know, you, like you said, you're quite thick skinned. I do remember, I, I can't lie, there was, you know, you used to always get jabs about your weight and stuff like that. Because I think, no, I think wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was Neil Warnock came out and he said something that was great. He said, you know, at the time, I think the top three goalkeepers in England were David James, Chris Kirkland, David Seaman. And he said, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap them for any of those. And then he went on to say something about his diet's not great, eats chips and stuff like that. Could you have killed him for that? Did you get years no, you got years of after So to start off the comment he made, he must have been after me, he must have been wanting me to have a good game that weekend. He was trying to bull me up. And the one about the chips and that, I'll never forget one pre-season. I come back, start the season, and Tony Daly was fitness coach, and I said to Tony, I said, I want to get a bit of weight off and get my body fat down. He was always a little bit higher than everyone else's, but that was just my way, how I, as it turned out, I had to go back. So what I did is I ended up losing about 12 pound in weight and my body fat went down four or 5%. And for a full month, it weren't that old playing shit. I just couldn't make a save, couldn't get near out. And he pulled me in, in, in his office and he said, well, what's up with you? You fucking, you, you, I need a save from you. It went an important time in game. You know, I just said, Kafra, I just don't feel right. I said, since I lost that weight and that body fat, he went, why? What have you lost? So I told him. And he literally said, listen, on you, I was still living in Halifax at the time. He says, on your way back to Halifax now, get in your car, go to McDonald's and put that fucking 12 pound back on now. <laughs> so, so it was an excuse me to fatten up again. <laughs> do, you think, uh, do, do you think it was like Samson, you know, when Samson gets his hair cut and he loses his strength, was that like your body fat was like your strength and just suddenly turned you into yeah, the hair keeper? Because I never really, I always say that I never really had a lot of interest even I always say just because of where I were. I weren't the fittest in the world, but apart from the odd pulled muscle which had been out for two or three or four weeks or I had a knee ligament injury once, but that was just an impact one. I couldn't talk about that, but I seemed to do uh, quite well until obviously I got old, the back end of my career. Yeah. Probably took its toll then. I think with a keeper as well, almost like... Um... You know, there's been loads of good keepers that have been classed as overweight. I mean, Neville Southall is probably the poster boy for it, isn't he? And he was one of the best that's ever existed. Yeah. Um, what was Neil Warnock like with stuff like, or any managers you played under, really? What was they, what were they like when it came to fitness and stuff like that? Was it all about sort of more mental than it was physical for you? I just, yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't unfit. I could train no, no. as hard as any other keeper. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, if not harder, I trained. Uh, it's just I just didn't look fit. <laughs> I was only like 15 stone. It's not like I were carrying 20 stone or out like that. But when you go back about the keepers, I always used to say that I used to love playing against Sheffield Wednesday when Pressman were in goal because that was the first time I'd be stunning tunnel, I'd be the thinnest keeper. <laughs> I, used <to> <laughs> I used to think it feel like Twiggy that day. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. No, I think it's a good yeah. point. Because Pressman used to get it as well, and he was another cotton keeper. Yeah, he was, another cotton keeper. Well, every time I played against him, it was frightening. Just like, I mean, was he... Oh, no, that was Crossley, I think, was the only keeper to ever save a Matt Letizia penalty. But he was a uh, good penalty well. saver, Pressman, wasn't he, if I remember rightly? He could save a penalty. Yeah, he did bad, no. How is it you, you handle stuff like that from fans? Because you, you obviously, like, and you can tell you're quite thick-skinned anyway, but, like, do you kind of use it almost like a, if you score against them, you can give them a bit like up yours That's sort of exactly thing? exactly what I did. I used to give it, I used to give them back. So I'd bide my yeah. time. Some, some games I never got chance because I just have to take it. Other games, if we scored, they'd get it. I'd be rubbing my belly. I'd be giving it all <laughs> sorts. You get, I'd look around and there'd be people 
25 stone singing you fat bastard I mean I'd just look at him and start laughing and pointing at him and stuff like that but you cheeky twat uh, but I used to use it I used to think well you've come to pay to fucking watch this game and I'm playing I'm actually on the pitch I'm a professional I'm going yeah. all you fucking like uh, and then I used to always used to think right I'm going to prove you wrong I'll show you who's a fat bastard and uh, and I just wanted to prove him wrong and, and I'd like to think I did over the course of my career if I'm honest yeah yeah absolutely Um you know, going back to the management style you had under Warnock and stuff like that before we move on, I think he's often seen, you know, almost as like a, a joker, a comedian, someone who's brash and blunt. And they've all seen the the documentaries. And yeah, it is funny. He is a, he is a funny bloke. He's definitely a character. But away from like kind of the Neil Warnock that we all know and, and hear of and think of when we think of his name, what is it that he does that continues to get success out of, you know, individuals, teams, players, that consistently gets promotion, consolidation? What is it he does? Man management, simple as. Treats you right. He rewards you with days off and things like that. It's not rocket science. You treat people right. You get the best out of them, simple as, in any industry. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he always did. I always go back to a story. I've been on loads of pre-season tours with different managers and you know, if you're away for like 10 days and you've got 25 lads and you've got managers who are like, oh, it's pre-season, there's no drinking. Yeah. You've got lads that are away from home for a long time and sometimes they need a little blowout, you know, just Absolutely. just to let a bit of steam off and stuff like that. And we went to Italy with uh, QPR and we had like, like 10 new signings and we be- he'd been there a couple of days before us and we got there and he just basically said, listen, every night's like a Saturday night round here. He said, so I start giving you curfews and saying you can't go out and all that lot. I've got 10 new signings. You're all going to fucking just do what you want and we're going to fall out and I don't want that. He says, so I'm going to tell you now, we're here for 10 days. We've got three matches. The three nights before us games, you're not allowed out. The other seven go get as pissed as you want as long as you're up for training next morning. One of you don't turn up for training, you're all fined. Lads were like, what the fuck? Never heard <laughs> out like in their lives. Do what we want for seven days. But he got everyone on side like that, put yeah. your fingers. And we had two nights out, both after matches, so we didn't get out till 10, 11 o'clock at night. That were it. Because it was pre-season. That's still what's keep fit, do you know what I mean? Of course. But he give us that, he give us that little bit of leeway. No one took piss then because we're allowed. It's like when you're not allowed to do something, you rebel against it sometimes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and he got he got everyone on, on side. And that yeah, again, his man management again, he worked stupid. He knew where lads would be going out seven, eight times through. You know what I mean? Were you in the uh, were you in the dressing room at the time when I don't know whether you've heard it, but Matt Kilgallen, were you you would have played with Matt Kilgallen, I, yeah. I imagine. The moment when he was like telling everyone off in the dressing room and putting pseudocrim on his on his ball sack, I think it was, or his arse or something like that. Were you in I the dressing room at that point? I thought it was pile cream, I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> I, I, if I, I thought it was, so it basically come in, it, it didn't just happen once, this could happen quite right. If we'd had a got beat or somewhere, he'd literally be there, he'd give us a rollicking. But you couldn't get up until he and go out for a cool down until he'd set. And he'd literally he were he were like having a go at you, and then he'd like just start getting undressed, and then he'd be stood there naked having a go at you. And then he'd go in shower and he'd be still ranting and raving in shower. And then he'd come out and he'd be drying himself in front of us, still going mad. And the next thing, he'd just cut leg up on me and stuff. I always thought it was pile cream, not pseudocrine. So I don't know why his mind crossed a little bit there, but it used to be like, oh my God, gaffer. And then he'd just, all of a sudden, when he were half changed, he'd go, get out of my fucking sight now, I don't want to see none of you. <laughs> so we'd have to go outside and have a cool down until he'd left the dressing room. 
since you've retired, has he changed much then? Has he has he calmed down and cooled down a bit now that he doesn't have to manage you as a player, or is he still just just the same? What when I speak to him? Yeah. You no, know, no, he's he's off the when he's when you're not involved in the football, he's just like anyone else, a normal person. Yeah. He's not like like that. It's some it's probably his character when he is is managing. Uh but no, when you speak when I speak I speak to him regularly on the phone and it's it's uh it's just like a normal conversation you have with a friend. Yeah. Even though I call him Gaffer still. Yeah. I can imagine <laughs> that does happen. Yeah. Outside of um, obviously, you know what? I've spoken an awful lot about Warnock, and I think that's because he's so highly rated and you played under him five times. But I suppose, quick question um, outside of Warnock himself, who would you say has been the best manager you've played under? Uh, ooh. I'm trying to think. Or worst, if you want. Yeah, if I'm going to go worst, I'm going to go only because I found him really ignorant. Mark used. Uh, I was a Man U fan as a kid. Uh, loved Mark Hughes. Brian Robson played under him as well. He was a strange bloke. Uh, but Mark Hughes would literally walk past in the corridor and not look uh, and not look at you, not even acknowledge you. And I hated stuff like that. It was not hard to say morning or whatever. Yeah. Uh, just found his managing style. Obviously, I'd gone from one managing style to his, and it was really strange. Yeah. Game team like an hour and 20 minutes before the game, whereas under Warnock, you know your team on a Thursday. Yeah. Uh, so just little things like that, wearing suits to away games and stuff like that. And not a lot of people like that. Yeah. I mean, it's still yeah. for home games, but away games, it was strange. It's just a total contrast, isn't it? It's like, I mean, yeah. Is that quite hard then? Because you, you mentioned Brian Robson before and Mark Hughes, and we're talking people who are, you know, especially if you're a United fan growing up, you're talking like genuine legends. Legends, aren't they? Is it one of those things where you, it's like never meet your heroes sort of thing? Possibly, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll never play under them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian Robson were all right. He, just, he, he was just uh, too laid back for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you, you thought of him uh, but, yeah, I just found him too laid back. I mean, he was always, he, he did very well at Middlesbrough, didn't he? And I think it was, I, I, I think of Robson's career as a manager, the way I view it as a fan, almost the same way as I view Roy Keane's. The first club, he had that aura around him, like Borough, Roy Keane was with Sunderland, but they never really achieved that. I mean, you're saying he's laid back, but Brian, Brian Robson probably, as a player, would be the complete opposite of what yeah, you see exactly. is laid back. Um, does yeah. that kind of take you by surprise then when they're kind of different to what you expect as well? Yeah, because obviously they were, what I remember them, both them players were big characters, strong, hard players. And you think, Absolutely. oh, they'll be oh, buzzing to work under under pair of them. Yeah. And then you find out it's all the opposite, whether they, obviously they must have changed over time or whether, because the managers, they've got to, they felt like they had to be like that. I don't know. With managers themselves, you mentioned you've been back to Sheffield United and I was going to touch on it, but you've kind of already mentioned about how you sometimes do go back and stuff like that and you treat very, very well. Um, have you had a meeting if, with Chris Wilder yet? Or if you haven't, and if you have, what, what do you make of him? I'm trying to think when it was. I think about three years ago, I played in a charity match down at Bramall Lane. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they might have been in league. They'll have been in league one still then. And uh, I don't, he actually asked me a lot of questions about Warnock. After we had, when we went out, after we had a few, we all went out after, and he come across, and then obviously I asked him some questions about himself, and he come across a similar sort of manager. Yeah, 
good man manager, the way he treats the players, he gets a lot of respect from them. Uh, and what he's done there is a ridiculous job, to be fair. So uh, can't fault him for that. Yeah, six off top. I mean, and, and you're talking about being disappointed with the, the game that they got disallowed. Yeah, really do you know what I mean? And I think when he took over, I think they were bottom of the league and he'd lost the first four or five games or something. <laughs> Ridiculous. So three years down the line to be six in Premier League is a, a, ridic- a ridiculous achievement, to be fair. At the end of your Sheffield United career, and I suppose probably it, it does taint it a little bit for you, especially at the time, uh, you received a nine-month ban for finding, I think it was called ephedrone uh, that was in your system, believed to be from some sort of cough medicine. Finding out you're banned for that long, what kind of emotions come over you? You think your career's over, do you? I thought mm-hmm. so. I would. I would never forget uh, sat in Wembley. My QC were adamant from day one. I'd only get three months, yeah. and it'd be backdated to when the when the he said from day one you'll get done for negligence, which I got done for gross negligence. Uh, and he he said from day one you'll get three months. They'll be backdated from when the club uh, suspended you, so you might miss about four or five weeks of season. I was absolute, but I snap that out of his hand right now. We're happy with that. Yeah. And I never forget sat in the room, and when they come up and they just basically read out that we we agree that you've not used anything to enhance your performance or to cheat. Uh, and he kicked me under the table and he wrote on a piece of paper, "You're not even going to get banned." And then next thing, but we all agree that gross negligence, so we're going to ban you for nine months. And it was like, wow, we're like as I were in a daydream, if I'm honest. Uh, driving home from Wembley that day I can't remember getting home I drove for three three and a half hours and I can't remember driving home that's how mad it was and all they were thinking were that must be my career is over now did they ever give you a reason why it was nine months because to me and again I'm, I'm not part of that situation but to me if they're agreeing that you haven't taken anything to enhance your performance surely they can see it was a, just a genuine error yeah that's what we fought, we appealed against it. I think there were players, I think, two, is it Cal, Cal not Cal, sorry, other one, uh, one of the Tory brothers, didn't he? he oh, got, it was Colo, yeah. He got done for taking slimming tablets. That's right, yeah. That in 10 hands, your performance, what it is to lose weight. He, he got six months, three months of it were non-season and the rest of it were back there. So he yeah. had limited time and it was like, how's that work out? Because yours was near there. Was it the beginning of the season when it happened? Uh, mine happened at the end of the season after uh, right. we played Preston in first semi-final of the playoffs that's right of course um, obviously when you think your career's over and stuff like that and you have that nine month and that that's bloody difficult really to kind of take it on board so what did the club do to kind of facilitate because you couldn't even train with them could you no not until six weeks before my band were up uh, club were brilliant to be fair I had a year left on my contract they gave me another year so that meant I had a year once my band were up yeah. I cut my wages in half which and which so basically paying me half my wages for being sat well I worked sat at home I was still trying to, I could have no contact with the club or anything and, and like I said they were brilliant what they did for me they obviously kept me in, it gave me that hope that yeah I can come back now because if they'd have been me off who knows yeah no you're totally right and I think you know, you're talking about when something like that happened and when I suppose social media was sort of creeping in those days, but newspapers existed for a long, long time before that. Um, how hard is it to read things about yourself that are quite blatantly not true in most cases? Uh, yeah, it's difficult, but I know what papers are like. I'm not stupid, but like I said, people do read it and think it's true, don't they? I think to this day, if you asked 
people that know about what, our band at that time, I bet more than half of them will say, oh, you're off your tits, you've got on cocaine, you're on. And I still get it to this day. And I'm like, no, you're totally wrong. <laughs> you don't even, the, the story come out, they didn't come out to say I got done for gross negligence and I didn't, I didn't admit I didn't use anything to cheat. You just come out, drugs cheat, band nine months. So people think straight away, drugs is drugs. They don't think of uh, chesties, and that's what I took. Chesties is a drug, would you? It's just a normal. So you know, that's how crazy it is. I had a chest infection, and that's the thing. I had a chest infection for a good three or four weeks beforehand. Uh, they were all on my doctor's records, everything. Yeah, I should have not taken it. I should have known what I was taking. But to be punished nine months for it, I thought were really harsh. Yeah. And I always think now, and I, and I say it in my, in my book, I got punished for that time because Sheffield United uh, sued the FA over Tevez, simple as. Well, absolutely. Why would I get nine months and Tory only get six months? Yeah. When he obviously used some of Ten Hans' performance because losing weight surely is. Yeah. And well, surely it is, shouldn't be an harsher penalty. More so than a chesty cough, mate, I'll tell you that. Yeah, um, <laughs> as it was, you know, following that uh, time at Sheffield United, you did end up making the move again with Neil Warnock to, to QPR. Um, probably a daft question, but how much of a factor was Neil Warnock in the move? Yeah, obviously a big factor because obviously I knew him and I've been on two occasions already at this point and uh, I was disappointed to leave Sheffield. It's, an, it's, another, it's another story as well where the truth didn't come out about why I left there. Uh, but to have the opportunity then to go where I wanted, I, I, worked, I felt what I weren't wanted then at Sheffield United. And as a player, you just want to feel wanted at a club. And, and that's what Warnett obviously always made me feel. And, he wanted me at QPR. I always said I'd never play for a team in London because it's too far away and I, I hate going down. But when I had the opportunity and, and the way it ended up turning out, the two years I had there were, were an amazing couple of years. So. Yeah, they were phenomenal. I think, you know, you look at QPR at that point and everyone talks about Adel Terrapt, but you actually got player of the year that year ahead of him in your first yeah. season. Um, what was, and obviously things changed a little bit with QPR further down the line, and I think you might have touched on why already with one of the particular managers and things happened. But with QPR, when you were there under Warnock, what was the, the team spirit like there? Because you had like Mavericks, like Terrapt, but you also had some really experienced pros, I think like Clint Hill and things like that at that point. Their, uh, the spine of the team was strong. Yeah. We had some good players. And like I said, Adele Terrapt, he could win a game on his own. We had to put up with him. If he didn't want to play, if he couldn't be asked, he may as well play with ten men. It was unbelievable. He uh, he'd win he'd win your games on his own, which he did on a on a on many occasions. Uh, so yeah, he played a big part in it. But so did everyone. We had a we had a good squad, good strong squad as well. And and believe it or not, we were quite a direct team that season. Mm-hmm. And that were and that's going back. That were another season. We didn't lose till twentieth game at season. So all of a sudden you've got that many points. You just, you just, you can afford to just plod along rest of the season. Then, what was Tarap like as a character? Uh, he'd turn up late a lot, which a lot of lads didn't like. One, we used to have meetings to be like me. He'd always get like me, Sean Derry, Clint Hill, players like that, and just say, "Listen, you've got to bite your lip." I know he just turns up when he wants. He, he, he wouldn't even turn up some days. But like I said, when he when he were at it, I remember a story about. He, uh, he never turned up for a game. Uh, he didn't turn up for a training a few games before. And then he didn't turn up for a game. And then the following Tuesday, we were playing Sheffield United at uh, Loftus Road. 
And uh, obviously, Warnock had already named his team the day before, at least. Uh, and Adele had turned up, just turned up at the stadium, wanting to play. So I literally got to the stadium, more or less 30 seconds after Adele, and Warnock, they were shouting at each other in the corridor. And obviously, it was my old club, Chef United, and, and Warnock said, Adele, come to my office now. He said, Paddy, come with me. He went, Paddy, this little fucking dick wants to play. He said, I'm not playing it. He says, I'm a right artist. And I went, no, I'd play him. He went, what? <laughs> I says, I'd play him and win his game. He went, but I've got to go in there and tell someone uh, that they're not playing now and then someone else that they're not on bench. It doesn't matter, does it? You've got to, you, you do what's best for the team and he'll win, win his game, simple as. So we've, obviously, we've got to change rooms. I thought, Warnock, he fucking stitched me up a treat, didn't he? Walked in. Right, there's a chase the team now, lads. You're not going to be happy, but Adele's playing. Uh, and so on, so you're not you're not in subs bench now. And lad that we're playing, he's now on subs bench anyway. And if anyone wants to have a more up playing Paddy, it's his decision. I'm like, fucking thanks a fucking lot. But we went out. We set we set first two goals up, Adele, two assists, one at game. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it was a good decision to end up, but worked out yeah. in the end. You can take credit that for that. That all over. Do you know what I mean? That rim all over, Adele. Talking about characters in the, the QBR squad, there's one character that I absolutely loved at Sunland, uh, Jibril Cisse. What was what was he like in comparison to kind of like adult trap similar personalities? Or I didn't really have that much with him. Really, you know that he was back end of me that career. The, yeah. the season we stayed in the Premier League, he was a good lad. He was obviously I'd, he was an unbelievable player. When he was watching with Liverpool, for Liverpool oh, yeah. and Sunderland and all that lot. Uh, and he was a strange kid to look at one he would he was just all tattoos wasn't he yeah. it was ridiculous uh, but it was, it was a right nice, looking at him you think he's an absolute wrong one, but he was a right nice kid and he scored some important goals for us as well yeah. uh, obviously before that uh, Man City match the week before we played Stoke and we won 1-0 and we scored last kick at game and that's right Gabriel scored last kick at game and if he wouldn't have scored that game we'd have had to win at Man City so it would have been you know what I mean it would have been tough feat to, to achieve uh, so it meant that we could afford to lose that goal that CSA scored that day meant that we could actually afford to lose at Man City as long as Bolton didn't win at Stoke they were actually playing Stoke as long as they didn't win at Stoke we could afford to lose which, which ended up happening and yeah. you look back and that goal that he scored there was just it was good for us because he was big, strong quick even though he'd had a couple of bad leg breaks he was still quick yeah, yeah, he's still he's like shit off a stick, wasn't he? Even though he had those two leg breaks, to be fair, to him. yeah, there weren't many of us about. You talked about the Man City game, and I suppose I kind of have to, uh, I have to mention it, even though it's quite weird because you think of the City game, and I think I'm, I'm talking to someone who conceded the goal, but I think you know you in goal for QPR that day, and probably the most famous day in Premier League history. Um, and what it is remembered for Man City winning the league that day, it's also a game that you know QPR picked the result up, so you were fine. But what was it like being part of that day and just that moment? I always, when I talk about this, I always go back. People forget we were doomed ten games to go. Yeah, and we and we won us last five home games at season. We picked fifteen points up out of fifteen, and the first game out of that we beat Liverpool three two, and we're two nil down, and we come back and we scored three goals in the last ten minutes. Week after we went and beat Tottenham one nil. Two weeks after that would be Arsenal 2-1. Then we'd be, I think it was West Brom, and then obviously Stoke. So we'd, we'd like had a ridiculous run at home prior to that game. And 
we were obviously we were all we were caring about was staying up. Yeah. I didn't even, it, if you if you ask me honestly now, I can't remember that Man City and Man United were so close in league. Mm. I knew Man City had to win to win league. I, I, I didn't realise it was so close that it was going to go down to Man United because all we were concentrating on were us staying up, simple as, uh, which we happened to do and obviously end up being a good day all round because everyone was celebrating that day on that pitch and, and in, in the stands. So it was a strange day as well. It were hot. They always find that last yeah. game at season when there's a lot of things happening. The hot days and we found out at one point Bolton were winning and it's, we were losing you know, and then it spun on its head again then all of a sudden we were winning with 10 men after Joey got sent off because uh, we, we, we we got it back to one all Drib CC actually scored that second yeah, strap the, the header off. I think then, then Joey got sent off then we managed to go 2-1 up with 10 men it was like oh my man see I haven't lost at home all season they won every game by one yeah uh, and which they drew and you're like wow but then everything that ended up for unfolding at the end, I just think people are like, well, oh, you, you, you look like you're giving. It were like, we played half a match. We're at, well, for 35 minutes at match with 10 men. We, we didn't even have ball. We were just running for non-stop. It just took its toll at end, end of game. I'm all lads and everyone just tired, I think. With uh, the game itself, I remember... QBR fans celebrating before Aguero had scored, I think because the result in the other game had gone there. When you're on a pitch, do you, do you know what's going on in the no, other game? We yeah, we, 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 when we were winning 2-1, uh, they got a corner before they went ready to all. And the, uh, just before they took the corner, our fans were going mental at the other side of the stadium. That's right. We were all looking at each other and saying, so what's happening over the game? So Obviously, to our advantage because they wouldn't celebrate. Yeah. Uh, and then when we when they scored to make it to all off the corner, all our bench then jumped up and started shouting on pitch, saying "We're safe, we're safe." They've drawn to all. Because I always say to this day, and if we wouldn't have known that, if you watch the goal, everybody dives in. Yeah. Prior to Aguero, if you watch, this three or four players dive in, and I think under normal circumstances they might have stayed on the feet. I think, do you know what I mean? But we sort of. We, obviously, we knew we were safe at this point. I always say that wouldn't have happened. I don't think they'd have scored that goal if, if we were known. It was obviously at the Sunday game when we played Man United, so we ended up winding them lot up. Oh, for, yeah, you were. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right next they, to them, I was. They thought they'd won it at one point, hadn't they? They certainly did. And it was it was a funny day for a person who grew up with Man United winning everything. Um, but on the flip side, you look at, like, you know, you obviously you knew you were safe, but like I think everyone in the country that wasn't a Man United fan celebrated because it was just crazy. But you're the goalkeeper where the ball's gone in. Like, how do you react to that when you see everyone just go mental? I mean, there's people crying in the stands, like pandemonium. Mancini's on the pitch. Like, when you're the goalkeeper that the ball's gone past, what do you do? <laughs> you just well, the initial reaction was we were on a draw bonus, so I'm going to lose my draw. No, I'm on. <laughs> 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 no, it was. Soon as it went, it was like my normal reaction to a goal, like jumped up. We were like, what the hell? And then reality kicked in, then you just seen it was just like, well, we won't leave now. Wow. I just hope that result were right. Yeah. <laughs> I hope the other game result were right. No one's got it wrong. Talking about teammates, going back to someone you mentioned before, Joey Barton, someone who 
Joey Barton's Joey Barton, isn't he? Uh, there's no other way to describe him. But you know what? He's he's done quite well as a manager at Fleetwood. I don't think anyone can deny that. And I think, you know, he played for England, so he had something about himself. But as a, a former teammate, is he a difficult character to manage or do you kind of want to be on the same side as him? Oh, yeah, definitely. He's good to have on. He's a some player, by the way. Yeah. I think things that some... You can't take it, I think a lot of people forget how good he was because of the problems he had on and off the pitch himself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he was he was good to have around. He was a good player. He did really well for us. Yeah, he got sent off a few times when probably cost us. Uh, but, yeah, he was a nice lad. But he crossed that line. He reminded me a bit like Chris Morgan off the pitch, nicest man in the world. And then cross, get on, get off the pitch, on the pitch, and like, they just like lose cannons. Oh, could happen. Yeah. So was he quite welcomed in the squad then? Did people quite like him in the team? Yeah, definitely. Because he had good banner, good character. Yeah. Got on with lads. He's achieved good, good things in the game. So you, when someone comes to that, see a club that have achieved what he'd achieved and played at the level it, he'd have played at, you've got to uh, accept him and, and, and all get on with it. Absolutely. I've got two more for you. Um, obviously, we're centering around Leeds because that was, it wasn't the last club you joined, but it was the last one I think you moved to for, for yeah. money. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, Leeds didn't actually, as we talked off air, didn't work for, for Warnock. Um, for yourself, I think you, you spent two seasons there, but Leeds very much reminds me of maybe like the northeast of England. It's like it's a goldfish bowl. Like the whole city exists around that football club. At that point, you went there as an experienced goalkeeper that had been at Sheffield United, Premier League, won stuff, lost stuff. You, you were experienced. But how much of a different experience is Leeds as a football club compared to maybe other clubs that you played for? Tough one because I were at Leeds at the wrong time. Yeah. We had three, well, I was there. We had three or four owners and when all that's happening all the time, it's difficult. You know, we had four or five managers and, and it's, a, it's so hard to settle at a club like that. And yeah. I was so looking forward to going there. I'm an Halifax lad. A lot of my son support Leeds. A lot of friends support Leeds. West Yorkshire lad. Getting myself back home from out, from London. I was so excited to go there. And and I had some good time there. But I just think the manager, a lot of manager changes and owner changes just spoil it a little bit for me, if I'm honest. Yeah, it was crazy, wasn't it? You had like, not just, some clubs have like three managers in a season, but you have three managers, three owners, five managers. It was crazy yeah. at the time. That it's only on that, until now with Bielsa where they've, they've had a bit of stability across the whole club. You're seeing kind of what they're achieving. Um, you know, as it was, you, you turned out for, for Bolton, Oldham, Rotherham afterwards, or you, or you joined them afterwards, but you retired in 2018. So I suppose my final question would be, you know, when you look back on your career, as you probably have done now, what do you take as your favourite memory for you from your time as a professional? My two promotions, two promotions to, and playing for my country. It's not just one one thing. It's it's uh, it's 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 them three things, if you ask me. Uh, and then just the whole career in general, being binned off at fifteen year old, Halifax not being told, being told I'll never make a goal, uh, proving people wrong. But yeah. Definitely. There's been a few little things along the way, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Paddy, I could speak to you all day, mate. Um, thank you very much for, for giving me an hour of your time, mate. Absolutely superb. Um, good luck with the book and stuff like that. When, when can we expect that out approximately, you think, September? Uh, open September, yeah. September, October. Uh, good. So, yeah, we're getting there now, anyway. 
Fantastic. Well, I'll let you get on with the rest of the afternoon, mate, but I absolutely very much appreciate your time. (laughs) 